This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. This week we are discussing Shatterglass, the fourth book in The Circle Opens, the second quartet in the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. In this book, Triss takes on an apprentice and learns how to use her magic to figure out where she wants to belong in the world. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And this week on Books That Burn, we have some special guests. I'm Anna. I am one of the co-hosts of the Circle of Friendship podcast that focuses on all things Circle of Magic. And I'm MJ. I am also on the Circle of Friendship podcast, but you can also find me on Reignite, the Rob Thomas No Not That One Robcast, and over on twitch.tv slash archives of the dragon. Excellent. All right. Going to get into our factions. We have Triss, Little Bear, Chime, starting out with the important people, uh, <laughs> Nico, Keth, Jimshida, the Prathmuni, the uh, Yaskadasi, the Doski, the Ararim, then Dema, Glacky, Yali, Iralima, Xantha, Poppy, and Feruz. So our first topic is abandonment, and we're talking about a couple of kinds of abandonment for Glacky, Yali, and Iralima. So one of our uh, kinds of abandonment we're talking about is kind of a weird one because it's not a choice that was made necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, this this topic does have a content warning for parental death because Glacky loses like, what is it, three caregivers? Three parent parental well, figures? I think two. Two? Is it two just two? Two by death and then just in general is kind of left on her own. Yeah. 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 Well, because like, Xantha is technically supposed to be there and then just is not. <laughs> right. Xantha and Poppy yeah. kind of don't just don't really want to take a hand in raising her when she needs them, even though they were her yeah. mom's friends. So Yeah. And then Gally, who does step up after Irolima is killed, uh then it's killed. And Irolima we don't ever get to meet. Like we mm-hmm. find out about her when she is already dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's happening here is that Yali and Iralima are both Yudeski, which are the entertainers, and they're, I believe that it's um, Okozu is the term in the book for them, and it's no one as valuable as their smallest coin got hurt. Yeah, it's um, literally just saying you are the expendable members of society. And the Yaskadasi are not the only Okozu, but they are part mm-hmm. of that that group. Um, yep. It's a very... Like, they have a word. So I was going to say it's like a weird magical capitalism kind of a thing where it's like, okay, well, you are the lowest class. I They have an entire word for we don't have to care if you get hurt or killed. Yeah. I did a little research and it sounded like the the social structure in this this society was based on the feudal structure in Japan and the caste structure in Japan. Oh, cool. So there okay. there was okay. a caste structure that 
involved um, geisha performers. And then also, mm-hmm. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but there was a much lower class that that dealt with death and cleanliness, um, cleaning up mm-hmm. like the Prathmuni. Mm-hmm. So I was curious and I Googled that when I was rereading. Oh, do you know what century in Japan? Do you know what century in Japan? Um, it was 14th. I, it, the um, the class that the Prathmuni is based on was still existed up through the 1900s, although they weren't as segregated. And there's still like I think in like the 1970s or something, there was a. I, I'm I'm going off like my memory, so this could be completely wrong, but it was within like the mid 1900s. <laughs> they there was a push for like rights for people who were descended and, and were part of that caste because there was still according to like wikipedia basically um there was still discrimination mm-hmm. against them so okay yeah it's like a big civil rights issue apparently gotcha. wow. the things i learn when i decide to actually do some <laughs> research <laughs> to like dig into the book mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah so with with glacky in particular we don't actually know how Iralima treated her but yali actually was a from what we could tell at least from what i could tell it's just pretty decent parent yeah, she was very caregiver. caring. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was mentioned in passing that Iralima was like fine, but not super present and affectionate, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that yeah, that tracks with what I remember. It's just weird because we just don't actually ever see her like doing things. Yeah. But the the one thing that one detail that like sticks out to me is like we know that she was kind of left um, by Xantha and by uh, what's the the owner. Ferus, yeah, the apartment where they were staying. Like she, like Tris had to bribe her. <laughs> yeah, to, mm-hmm. to keep an eye on Blackie. her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess she would like. I'm trying to like she would like lock her she in a room, take the money, and then not wash her, watch her. Yeah, yeah, and she would just like let her just be there. And um, but the but like the fact that Tris like I'm sorry, the whole thing with Ferus is that. She's very concerned with money, and she mm-hmm. needs, like, the the income for the room being used. So if Glocky is staying there, someone needs to pay for the room. And that's right. her perspective. And right. when Triss needs someone to keep an eye on her, and she gets Furus to do it, Triss does not trust this woman, because you're not <laughs> kind-hearted enough to take care of a child who has no one in this world. I don't trust that you would just stay here because I ask you to. So... yeah, <laughs> I think Kath even tells her yeah. that she doesn't, or someone in the house is like, by the way, she's very she's very miserly. She will take the money and not, not do what you ask of her. So Triss decides yeah. to step in. And a lot of how Glacky behaves fits my, like, rudimentary understanding of attachment disorder. Like, the minute Triss is a little bit kind to her, like, Glacky just latches on. She just crawlings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that was something where, so Triss's kind of behavior with Glacky this entire time is is really interesting to me because she's not just this super caregiving maternal (laughs) figure that's not who she is at all but she was this mistreated abandoned shuffled around child i mean she still is a child because they're 14 and in this quartet but but she literally to take care of glacky she literally just goes okay well i know how to physically take care of you because i know how to physically take care of somebody and the things that you need and you're not a literal infant so like you're big enough that this is pretty 
fundamental, right? Um, but also, I know what I would have needed. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I would have needed. And then Glacky is like, oh my God, somebody who actually is there for me. <laughs> she also like actively thinks about the people who've shown up for her and who've shown up for other mm-hmm. people, like Sandry in particular. She thinks about mm-hmm. what they would do when she's trying to decide the best way to deal with what she knows Glacky's dealing with from her own experience. And then mm-hmm. takes the reactions to her trauma that she's gotten from other people and puts them into practice, which is really beautiful. Yeah, Trish yeah, has a lot a of really role models in Lark model. and Sandry, especially. Mm-hmm. And doesn't Little Bear end up staying with Glacky at the end of this? Yeah. If I remember correctly? Yeah. Um, yeah. Glacky she goes with Bear. Triss and Little Bear. Well, uh, at the end of this book, okay, but I yeah, think yeah. Robin means eventually, eventually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah like when Triss- longer term. Right, like, yes. And from this book on, Little Bear is Glacky's dog. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is cool, actually, because Bear was Triss's comfort animal and is now Glacky's comfort companion. They literally sent Bear with Triss because they felt that she would need him the most. And then yeah. <laughs> she gets to pass him along to somebody who reminds her of herself and that she thinks needs his comfort. Yeah, I do like Triss's kind of like, oh, of course, when Glacky uh, shows magic. <laughs> and then she's just kind of like, all right, this is no longer a question of like, th- this is one thing. So I'm only going to say this and that this is a little bit of a, I guess, a spoiler for like other books in this particular quartet, because we're not going to talk about those. Uh, I do like that of the four main protagonists, Two of them kind of are like, oh, I really have to be responsible for another person. But Sandry and Triss are both just like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, this is my job now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah, mean, of course. Well, they take their responsibility seriously. Triss has a little bit of like, I have to find a place for you to be, child. And like living as a mage is not a good thing if you're not a mage. And then Glacky shows magical potential. And Triss is like, well, OK, living with me. Got it. Let's go, kid. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just very I, I love how it kind of mirrors their own like <laughs> feelings and things yeah Triss is much, much more reluctant to help Kef than she is to help Glocky yes. because she sees so oh, much yeah. herself yeah. in Glocky <laughs> yeah and she's like you're a child and you have no one come with me oh you're a grown man what are you yeah. doing <laughs> like I am half you're, your age you're an adult <laughs> please get it together <laughs> yeah literally like, well because it's also deal, kind man. of like She's an addict, and I think we'll talk about this with Keth more, but yeah. Triss with him kind of has an attitude of like, either shut up and listen to me, or, <laughs> or go like, away and make me not it. responsible for you, because this mix of I'm responsible, but you won't listen, uh, really sucks. Yeah. Yes. And I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, yeah. <laughs> she definitely is like, you need to step Pick up one. somehow, please, <laughs> because you can't not do both. And yeah. Yep. Uh, Frankie, uh, any th- or MJ, any uh, anything you want to add? I know, like, um, anything you want to make sure we talk about. Well, there is the complete failure of the Arubim of taking care of the people in their charge, and how that has affected Glacky. Um, because we have talked a little bit about how the Yaskadazi are Okozu, and therefore not worth listening to or caring about. I just want to kind of harp on that for a second. Yeah. How Demo, like, goes around complaining, oh, the Yaskadazi won't talk to me. Well, 
Like, well, <laughs> I mean, Friend. you didn't listen to them before, so buddy, pal. <laughs> like he he doesn't he doesn't like that them being Okazu means that no one's helping him, but it doesn't really seem like for most of the book he really thinks about what it would mean to be Okazu. Yes, yeah. yeah. Dama is like a really good example of why within a corrupt system there are no good cops. Yes, <laughs> because uh-huh. he That's tries what I was getting at <laughs> because he yeah. he does want to do the right thing but he's so concerned with upholding the system for a lot of the book and he also still has the bigotry and the mindset of this very like classist culture and so he's not very compassionate towards like what does it mean that these women are being killed right and left and what does it mean for their families and their loved ones who are left behind he's more concerned about like i can't catch this killer this is a failure on my part and also and the like, shame I, that the c- killer brings to Therios yes. by right. mm-hmm. uh, bringing the filth and, like, of death. I only reread the first third of the book for this because like, I've read this series so many times. But in that first third, there are two separate instances where um, he's like trying to like find out what's going on and it means he gets like too close to one of the de- dead bodies and they have that whole like cleansing thing and like twice in the first third when they're like, ah, you're getting near the pollution. You're going to bring down your whole house. He's like, oh, sorry. I should have remembered that I should totally not care so much about these people because I need to not taint my house by being near death. Yeah. Like, like you, you, you get to see that ideation of like the thought process that would lead somebody to go, oh, no clearly me want me caring so much about this must be a bad thing right because the whole idea is that if you're born into one of these castes it's it's because of something you've done in the past and you should just focus on your next life and doing better so that you're not born there in your next life instead of hey maybe nobody deserves to be brutally murdered and have no rights because even if in this universe they're right about prior lives the system is terrible like even if they're right this is bad (laughs) Right, you should still ha- enjoy the life you have and be able to live it in like a healthy and sustainable way. Because I don't know if it's set up as like a reincarnation deal or if it's just set up as you are affecting the path that your line will take. I'm not sure which of those two is. I, I think it was more of the second one. If I recall correctly, there was mention of reincarnation as well okay. as like the the you know honor of your household. But I, yeah, because. Because there's the threat that if you associate too much with death or if you dishonor yourself too much, you'll be born among mm, the lower yeah. class again. Okay. Like, that is an actual threat leveled at Keith that's like, hey. And that also doing that will destroy your house in this life. Right. It's like both. Right. It'll it'll affect your household standing now and then also you won't be happy in the future, in your future lives. This week, we are discussing Shatterglass, the fourth book in The Circle Opens, the second quartet in the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. In this book, Triss takes on an apprentice and learns how to use her magic to figure out where she wants to belong in the world. So on to our next topic, Keithlin Keithlin. and near death and disability. Yes. So he was struck by lightning and before the timeline of the book, he spent months slowly regaining motor function and working on being able to speak again and then working on being able to speak mostly without a stammer yeah and when he gets anything stressful (laughs) happens 
his his handshake, his his stammer comes back. It's it, it's it's something that we actually kind of see him work through like in the moment. And like we it it's talks a, very a bit about disability. At at different points it talks about the disconnect between how he feels inside his brain and how much he's able to express with his body now that it's been damaged in this way mm-hmm. because he is still um like as like as far as we can tell he didn't lose anything intellectually and mm-hmm. so when his thoughts are much faster than his ability to express them he experiences a lot of frustration especially when this happened in like like close to his 30s like yeah, yeah. late mid to late 20s he was like getting ready to get married and everything and he was yeah. also yeah he, he was like at the top of his game career-wise like He'd been blowing glass his mm-hmm. whole life. He was exceptionally good at it. He maybe had like a tiny, tiny seed of magic that made it a little bit easier, but it wasn't anything big. And he just knew how to handle everything that he worked on because he'd been doing it his whole life. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, he couldn't do what he had basically defined his himself around. Mm-hmm. And because in this book, there's like the magical complicating element where he has like these physical disabilities and then he also in a weird way he has he has what he seems to think of as a disability in his magic and part of what he ends up like getting to learn is that like it's different but it's not bad yeah and like getting to that point where he can figure out how to have the lightning be something that he can guide rather than something that he's afraid of or needs to shut down or he sees it as something that just gets in his way of being able to do what he could do before. One thing I really like about this, particularly this book, but how Tamara Pierce writes this um, and with some characters in other books is she doesn't rely on the trope of like, now that I have magic, it fixes my disability, it's cured, it's gone. He still mm-hmm. struggles with this and will continue to struggle with this through his whole life. But because he has this magic, when he learns to control it, he can kind of enhance what he's doing in other ways and find other ways to go about mm-hmm. his life and his craft. And so I think that's very honest and real to the trauma of of having something happen to you that causes some form of disability where it doesn't – it's not like, oh, now you can do everything just the way you did before – it's about figuring out how no. to thrive in your own way now. That's something this series and, and this author, but especially this series, is like extremely good at. In and in, in a world where magical healing is a thing, that doesn't negate like trauma is never negated for anybody that I can think of. Like in Dodge's book, which we skipped over, like someone gets a prosthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I was yeah, thinking of with other characters but yeah it never changes the fact that that she needs a prosthetic or that Kath has this stammer that comes out when he's stressed out or that if he doesn't quiet his mind things become a lot more difficult it's just about learning a new reality yeah like especially with something like you end up with a magical aid rather than an electronic or robotic yeah. aid yeah but yeah. the fact that you that that you can have something that gets you that gets you back to a level of like your desired level of competency in in some but not always um without it being that we just magically fixed everything like that 
balance, um, I really appreciate. Because, like, he did exercises with the mm-hmm. stammer and stuff. And I do like that competence... Yeah, I I do like that competency is not always the mm-hmm. same as it was before either. Like, what is defined as competency or mastery uh, changes because you've gone through something, and so now your abilities are different, and now you are different. And so, no, you don't just do what you did before. You do something else at the same level because you're a different person now. Like, it's it's... It's interesting. It's good. And a thing I want to mention mostly because in other places it might have been done badly, like his stammer isn't, it isn't played for laughs. Like as many problems as this society has, we talked about some of them in the previous section. (laughs) Oh yeah. This society is not great, (laughs) but the characters and the writing. But like when he's trying to talk to someone and he like gets frustrated and starts stammering and like takes a moment to collect himself, like Mm -hmm. people are waiting for him to collect himself and finish. Yeah. They're not talking over him. And like, it's hard to know how much of that is a class thing, but but I guess he's a foreigner, so he's not super high up in there. So it's probably not because of difference to any class that he might have. Um, like people are waiting for him to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I will I will say too that though that not including Triss and um Nico, but uh, people in the culture, a lot of times when they're waiting for him to speak, I don't I, a lot of times when they're waiting for him to speak, it's because they need something from him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it might not actually be as positive it might just be like okay well you're the only person who knows this and we need for you to figure out how to talk or calm yourself down so you can talk so we have to like you we have to wait for you to be okay but from a reader perspective we have someone who with a stammer who doesn't spend their whole time getting talked over Mm -hmm. and i think that's important to note no that's that's very very that is very important but i just also want to note that like contextually in the book it's not necessarily that the society handles disabilities well it's just that he does have a little bit of the status of being on the police force, being a detective, uh, and also that the moments we see in the book are... I'm thinking about even before that, when like they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to torture him, but like they wait for him to finish his sentence. Like it's. <laughs> I mean, they are, but they are waiting for... But they're torturing him for mm-hmm. information. Yeah. So him being able to talk is still important in that moment threatening to torture him in order to get information thankfully they don't actually right or this would be a very different level of book yeah right but But i'm saying like for all they know he could stammer out a confession (laughs) Mm, yeah is the thing like that's still a moment where they actually do the goal is for him to say a particular thing and so like yeah if he's trying to talk they're gonna wait because they want him to say what they are expecting him to just decide to say um, so I just I do want to point out that, yes, from a reader perspective, we do have this very good rep- handling and representation of a physical disability. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's not necessarily because the society is good at it. We don't actually know because the instances where we get it, like, they need something from him. So I do want to point that out because that is a very yeah. nuanced <laughs> yeah. Yeah. thing. I think it's mainly because Tamara Pierce is understanding of mm-hmm. what that disability can 
feel like or Mm -hmm. what can happen to people with that kind of disability and what they kind of suffer through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. His... She's very She really is. She tries. She doesn't always get it right, but I think in this series in particular, she does a fairly exceptional job. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting because he he obviously has, like, PTSD from being struck by lightning. Yes. um, Which (laughs) Triss has triggered in the past, sometimes knowingly and sometimes not. She can be a little impatient at times, but that that PTSD, like, interplays with his physical disability as well, because once he's in a place of being triggered, then- He's having a much harder time. And also when he starts struggling with his motor function and his speech, that can kind of lead to re-traumatizing him as well. So Mm -hmm. reliving things. I will say, like, Mm -hmm. it's a pretty, like, good depiction of what PTSD can Mm -hmm. look like. But I don't think it's a great depiction of how you should act around someone with PTSD. Because Tris Tris is very much like... (laughs) You're immune to lightning now. Get over it. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, if I just show you you're immune to lightning, it'll totally be fine. Um, oh, Ben. Don't, don't do that. You, <laughs> yeah. don't, you should not be doing exposure therapy randomly with your friends who have PTSD. Nope. Uh-uh, nope. Uh, <laughs> well, that's that's the thing where Tris is 14. Yes. And is literally looking at... It's like she's super... We had kind of talked about this in our topic one. Like, she's super understanding and considerate of Glacky. But then with Keith, she's just like, hey, you're a grown man and I'm 14. Like, you should have it better together than this. And so she's literally just telling him, like, okay, we're going to do what worked for me because I have no context of how to teach you how to be a functional adult. It's a... Yeah. And so she's literally just like, here, this is fine for me. Ready, go. And he's just like, oh, no. (laughs) While we're discussing the great modeling of how to speak with someone who has a speech impediment of some kind, (laughs) I want to mention that this is not how to behave around someone who has PTSD. (laughs) I think it's actually a very good juxtaposition, though, because everybody else is seeing Keith as somebody who has gone through this traumatic event and has like an actual like physical disability and has like functional problems whereas tris is just going this is a magic problem here's your magic solution that's it that's all that matters tris always starts off very cantankerous with anyone that she first yes and it always takes her a while to be like oh i have to like struggle to understand you god yeah it's also kind of the juxtaposition of like cptsd versus ptsd as we know it because tris definitely has like complex PTSD from abandonment, but the emotion, the the mm-hmm. the um experience of like an emotional flashback versus like a very physical flashback to like a traumatic event is so different. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like speaking from my fairly limited knowledge with that, just from my own diagnoses and things like that, it's one of the reasons that they that they're constantly debating whether CPTSD should be its own diagnosis because it's so wildly varied from what flashbacks look like if you have physically experienced something. So for her, she has like Mm -hmm. really unpleasant emotions and then feels like she's pushing that down or getting through it. And then she sees what looks like him doing the same thing, but it's fundamentally not. And so she's (laughs) like, why don't you just do what I do? And he's like, and he's like, but I don't want to die. (laughs) Like, please, no, please don't do this to me again. (laughs) And there also is the complicating factor that like, 
lightning will kill a normal person even without mm-hmm. PTSD. It is not unreasonable yeah. for him to be very, very scared of what yeah. she's doing. Where she's just like, oh yeah, lightning, I have some in my little brains and some in my big brains and also the tides. And, he's and also like, a little bit of earthquake over here and volcano a little over there. <laughs> volcano over there. <laughs> I wish I had the patience to yeah. braid my hair like that. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you get a chance to see the book covers, like, the ones I'm used to, like, show what that hair looks like, and it's so pretty. Yes, I love her hair. And, like, pinned in braids, it's, like, really cool. This week, we are discussing Shatterglass, the fourth book in The Circle Opens, the second quartet in the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. In this book, Triss takes on an apprentice and learns how to use her magic to figure out where she wants to belong in the world. On to Triss and powerlessness. We've got two different kinds of powerlessness. We have both that she gets assaulted, and then we also have that this like weird gap between she has like a lot of magic, but on a day-to-day basis isn't able to use it to do very many things. We've kind of like two facets to this topic. And social powerlessness. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's yeah, that too. As a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Teenager. teenager with mastery of her life who is not taken seriously. As well as being a foreigner who is considered to not really be allowed to have an opinion (laughs) on what's happening in Therios. True, Mm. true, true. So with, actually, can can we start with that one? Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't think it was a coincidence that our character who canonically has the most struggle with not feeling useful uh, is stuck in the society that of all four books in the quartet that this is the highlight for is the most class structured and punishing of anyone who doesn't follow the class rules. Like, I I don't think that was a coincidence or an accident. <laughs> it looks... No, definitely not. I mean... Triss is very much the kind of person who looks at things very practically, and caste systems mm-hmm. are not practical. No. So this is distinctly set up to challenge her in her beliefs. Yes. Well, I, I would like to say they are practical if the thing you're trying to maximize is not human happiness. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because there is a reason that they get developed. If you want to be functional for the people at the top and that's all, they're they're great. They're just, you know, terrible for everybody else. Quality of life for um, many people is not... Yeah. consideration yeah 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 if you're if you're trying to maximize the ease of life and less work for a very specific top section it then like it's like i understand why they develop they also are not good yeah <laughs> it, it exists to yeah. keep power concentrated mm-hmm. like so many of our societal systems they exist to keep power concentrated right. in at yep. the top Basically, and all, yeah, and also this specific then, one was developed in response to plague. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. And so they thought, well, for for those who haven't read the book, they thought that if they um, just keep all of the pollution among people who are just polluted all the time, and then everybody else ignores them, then clearly we'll never get plague again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, briefly, the thing is, they're everywhere. 
Like, the Prathmuni are everywhere. And so if it actually were a plague, the fact that they are everywhere, but everyone is trained not to pay attention to them, would actually make it be worse in a situation where they were actually dealing with a plague, because they would have no chance at tracing uh, contact with anybody. It would be an absolute mess. Um, I think, yeah, hilariously enough, um, and this is the only COVID reference, I promise, it's very similar to right now, not like refusing to care about essential workers because contact tracing them would take too much. <laughs> it's a very similar for th- for a similar reason is the only reason I I bring it up. It's not a magical right, cleanliness, idea, but the it's idea the same that the idea. store is empty if the workers are the only ones there. Like, yeah, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I also think, though, with the plague, part of it was, like, they had this caste system. It wasn't just that the caste system saved them. They think spiritually the caste system saved them. They think that they were basically spared the worst of the empire crumbling (laughs) and the plague taking out everyone around them because they adhered to this strict code. And so, like, in a metaphorical way, too, Mm -hmm. they're like, well, this will invite bad luck on us if we stop doing it this way. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think they had a they had a version of it previously, and then this like doubled it down and locked it in. Yeah, and now they won't budge. They didn't make it in the middle of a plague, but oh no, beginning it to just... cleanse the death. Oh thing, yeah, that that they did obsessive. that started in reaction to it. Yeah. Um. So so also, uh, Tris. So we have that. We have the social powerlessness. Uh, then we have Tris's kind of magical struggle where string is useful it's everywhere clothing is everywhere mm-hmm. sandry also weaves magic which is everywhere that's very incredibly practical you make and wear clothing every day if nothing else and we actually see examples of how sandry has made things for the other ones and so their clothing is functional for them in ways that it physically can't be otherwise um Briar plants are everywhere <laughs> and keep the area healthy um, and are in medicine also. And then, you know, Daja, again, makes functional things that people use day in and day out. Da- the, me- the vast majority of the forge work we honestly see on screen for Daja is just nails. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's incredibly practical. And then Triss has this power where, yeah, the weather and the earth and the ground are everywhere. But the power from it is not a harnessable day-to-day Right. She can't capitalize on it. Right. And even here when she tries to help by like uh, unblocking a storm that someone else had tied in place (laughs) and she like ties the storms together so the person can't do it again. Yeah. Then a couple of days later, that means that there's rain in Capic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everybody is like upset. (laughs) And she's just like, oh, uh, sorry, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like and I honestly back to, back to them not taking her seriously. Oh she says, God. "I'm sorry," and they're like, "What did you have to do with the rain?" And she's like, "Weather witch." Okay, <laughs> <whatever>. I <laughs> yeah. This is and like the idea that she can help Keith to catch somebody and be f- useful in her in her own mind is like that's this huge thing. Like I can do something. People will want me to do something. Um, 
And then there's that there's that whole power level thing where like she doesn't just make breezes happen. Like she can control like if she doesn't wash her hair and renew protections, she will cause an earthquake. She will kill people. Um even if she has, if she gets too mad, it might happen. Right, but I'm saying like like even without mm-hmm. any extreme emotion like she has a lot of emotional regulation. She uh she you know <laughs> Briar in a in a previous book, you know, tells her like if pointing your finger is a weapon, don't you dare point at someone unless you're ready for them to die. Yep. And that's her day-to-day life. Right, her only like And at the same time it's useless. <laughs> her only practical application that she can think of with the skills that she's been developing because a lot of the skills she wants to develop are supposed to be virtually impossible is battle mm-hmm. magic and she doesn't want to do that. She wants to help right, people. Right. Based off of her previous experiences where she did use her magic for war and for violence, she yeah. never wants to taint herself like that again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a really weird balance um that's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to to do and like the fact that we see her kind of struggle with how do i do this on screen i think is is very important you know she doesn't just come in with like this nebulous like oh i'm a weather witch how do you make a living i don't know that's not important to plot like that doesn't happen (laughs) it's she confronts it and we see her confronting it and dealing with it and trying to work through it at 14 and then for the second thing with powerlessness, um, when she gets like attacked in Capic, um, she gets attacked in Capic by a random person and then also attacked by the ghost towards the end. She was in Capic by herself as kind of like, no, I'm totally fine. I'm a mage. Like, I don't have anything to worry about, even though other people were like, you are a foreigner and you're underage, you should be chaperoned. It might even have been, you are female, you should be chaperoned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be in Capic at all. It felt like, I think, like, she was fine. I don't remember how much she needed, like, having, I think she would have been worse off if she hadn't had Chime there. Mm -hmm. And I think that shook her a bit. Yeah, I mean, like, with the first attack... I think she brushed it off a lot because she was able to just kind of deal with this guy. He was drunk. He was sloppy. He she was... knew enough self-defense. Mm-hmm. Right. She just kind of blamed herself for for walking into that situation unknowingly because she was trying to read the winds. But the ghost was much more traumatic, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Amini is a literal serial killer. So, <laughs> uh, and like, she knew he was around, so there was also, like, I I think there was probably also a little bit of, like, I'm not the kind of person he's attacking. And so even though <laughs> she was looking for him, she wasn't expecting him to attack her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he had, like, more of the element of surprise. He was better at it than this random drunk guy who was just <laughs> being terrible. And so she yeah. she didn't have the opportunity to defend herself as much because her life was immediately in danger. Whereas otherwise, I would say the first assault was more like, oh, my, my person is somewhat in danger, but like, I've got this. <laughs> yeah. Though I do want to point out that when Nico realizes that the ghost is going after Triss, his first thought is not, I must go protect Triss. His first thought no. is, Triss is going to do a murder. I have to go get over there. <laughs> 
Yeah. Nico Nico knows Tris pretty well. <laughs> but to be fair, she was going to do a murder. So she was going to do a murder. She has the temper and she has the power that is so easy to let control yeah. go and just destroy. <laughs> and I would like the reason why she didn't try to kill the drunk guy is because he wasn't a serial killer. Yeah, right. So it's, I want to, for those who haven't read the book, I want to make it clear that it's not like she would randomly kill somebody who hurt her. It's just that Nico didn't want this person's death to be on Triss's conscience. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. specifically, they have that discussion. Because Triss does have a lot of death already weighing on her from mm-hmm. one of her first experiences at the the Circle Temple when she was first brought there. But now yeah. she is older, she is an accredited mage, and she can make the choice of whether or not to use her magic in this way. And she's worked so hard to stay away from using her magic to kill. Yeah. Like, she talks about how she could easily make a living as a battle mage and refuses to do mm-hmm. it. And Nico would know that. Yeah. Even if we don't see the discussion with him, like, he absolutely knows that. Yeah. Absolutely. Just the exchange that they have when Nico confronts her. Well, confronts is not quite the word. When Nico <laughs> comes to her aid and he says, uh, she says that the ghost deserves to die. And he replies with, but do you deserve to be the one to kill him? Not so much do you deserve the honor of of doling out that justice, but more of do you deserve to have to suffer through that? Mm-hmm. This week, we are discussing Shatterglass, the fourth book in The Circle Opens, the second quartet in the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce. In this book, Triss takes on an apprentice and learns how to use her magic to figure out where she wants to belong in the world. Once every harvest moon, a talk show comes along that is so groundbreaking, raising the bar to such heights that other podcasts step back and say, wow, that show's got it figured out. With a host, tempered in focus, commitment, and sheer will, this is The Derek Duvall Show. Pop culture, news, and interviews with fascinating people that channel the great Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite. The Derek Duvall Show. Find him on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show, and find his new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podchaser. The Derek Duvall Show. The best thing to happen to hump days since the Geico camel. What what? On to the wrap-up and ratings. So, really quick, before we actually state our ratings, we just want to say it again that uh, this is kind of a special episode where we have two guests with us. So, just in case you skipped over our topics and jumped right to here, uh, we do have Anna and MJ with us, and we will have their links where you can find them at the end of the episode. Excellent. For our first topic for abandonment, what is the gratuity rating? I think, well, let's let our guests go I mean, first. <laughs> what do you guys, what do you guys think? So again, just as a reminder, because I know we, uh, new, new recording, new book. Uh, we have off-screen backstory, mild, moderate, severe, or torture porn, where the audience is, in, it's written as though the audience is supposed to enjoy it. I am between moderate and severe. I'd like to say a great deal of it is backstory, but yeah, the bits of it that are on screen. Is it backstory or is it off screen? Yeah, we we see him. Because it's happening during the time frame of the book. So the, 
Yeah. Okay, off screen. I would I guess say the off book- screen. <laughs> okay. And then I would go with severe because of the number of abandonments yeah. for a particular character. <laughs> In a very short length of time. Yeah. <laughs> and the way that the other ones are forced to abandon them. Yes. Um, uh. Yeah, it's severe. I agree. <laughs> for near death and disability, this is backstory and I think moderate. It's at least moderate. I might be willing to say severe. I think it's severe. I would um, say, yeah, parts of it are definitely severe. I mean, we talked about this also being PTSD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That kicks it up to severe, I think, anyway. Yeah. Personally. I mean, there are right, ways I- to depict PTSD that wouldn't have to be severe. Well, but that goes into care and not... well. No, no, I'm just saying, just the fact that it is PTSD doesn't automatically make it as severe, but I do agree that in this case, it is. I was also thinking of the way that the lingering effects and current disability are shown um, for the physical stuff also ends up being... um, Like a severe experience, kind of? Yeah, the, the number of of times that it actively affects his ability to communicate and do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, this is, I mean, this is definitely a severe trauma. Yeah. What do our guests think for powerlessness? Uh, I would say severe on that one as well, at least yeah. in certain situations. I mean, between the assault and between how deeply Triss is affected by uh, the power imbalance that she suffers, I would say, Mm -hmm. severe. I just wrote powerlessness twice instead of severe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is the trauma integral, interchangeable, or irrelevant for abandonment? Come on, this is is integral. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the whole point of this book. Yes, very much yeah. so. Uh, I think same with um, with Keith. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also very integral. Agree. Yeah. yeah, with near death and disability. Yeah, and I also it, it's think why his character is in this situation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think. Go the ahead. Pa- MJ was going to say something. Oh, I was going to say, um, and I think that it's the same for powerlessness. I think. It's uh-huh. integral because it's a huge part of Triss's journey and her experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see portraying it differently being interchangeable, but I think the fact that she feels powerless is vital to the plot. Yeah. Yeah. And really, like, a big part of her character in general, like, yeah. it's like a thing for her. <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, so treated with care. And just as kind of a reminder with our categories, so uh, if it is just yes, so this is about the audience experience of it. If it's just yes, that means that unless you have a particular trigger or trauma with this, you're probably fine reading this just in general. Enough is like, if you have this trigger, um, not enough is like, no, this will... This could be something people might avoid in general, or it might just feel like 
just too much. And then if it's just treated with no care, like this is just kind of traumatic to read (laughs) in general. Or tried to make their reader feel it intentionally. Like that'll happen. We've had some books like that where it's like, there's been scenes where the author is clearly putting the reader through this on purpose. And it's like, oof, can we please not? (laughs) Um, So our first topic. Yeah. With uh, child abandonment. I would say enough. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, I don't think, I I do think that there's parts of it that are disturbing Mm -hmm. to read and like just kind of get you a little bit emotionally regardless Mm -hmm. of if you have a trigger with it but i don't think it's handled poorly or anything when i think it would be i think there's a little more care put into this just by nature of and tris i think kind of resolving the problem as it happens i think if i think if our abandoned i think if our abandoned character was just there and resolving the bits of it and we saw it through like a child's eyes. I think it would be not like it would be way, 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 way worse. But instead, we're seeing it through the eyes of someone who is actively caring for and about and resolving the issue. And so I, I, I agree that that kicks it up to enough care. Uh, next with yeah. Keith with near death and disability. Um, I think. I mean, to me, this feels like enough. Um, it seems like I'd be I'd be willing to listen for a case for not enough if someone feels that way. Um, it does feel like the the moments where his disabilities are very apparent on the page, they're not played for laughs. They're taken extremely seriously. Like we see how it affects him, but without spending a whole bunch of time going on at length about it like it's not it's not like disability porn like it's it's not it's not look (laughs) at this person who can't do these things like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and there also is no sense of like isn't he such a a shining example of perseverance or anything like that there's no inspiration porn to it either yeah note yeah, no no tokenizing, no inspiration porn. Yeah, that's important. Um, I I agree that it's enough. I do think this is one where um for anybody who has not necessarily had a near death experience, but particularly for anybody with potentially something like cerebral palsy or has motor function, motor function or in general speech disabilities. Yeah, if if you have those things, this might actually be a not enough for you personally just because this there there are internal monologue moments where this character is just 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 struggling and not having a good time and actively telling himself talking to himself thinking through telling the audience about how bad the struggle is and how it feels and i think that and it's weird because this isn't necessarily the topic we're talking about, but with the actual physical disabilities that he suffers. And since it's from an accident, I am saying, <laughs> I am saying he's suffering with them. He's, it's, it's actively emotionally and physically painful for him. And that's kind of how, that's kind of the point, I guess, that I'm getting at is like, um, he is, is struggling he- and he is telling us how he's struggling. And so if, if you, 
if if feeling like you're not in control of your limbs or feeling like you can't not in control of your speech is a trauma for you this one is probably not enough but for everybody else i think it's enough i do agree it's hard and, and, with it's, this and it's not just since trying to keep this non-spoilery no. it's not about him it's not about him magically fixing it it's not about it just mm-hmm. going away it's about him getting to a better place with his new reality sometimes that involves different things getting better and sometimes mm-hmm. it just involves him this emotionally is- and mentally getting to a better place with it but yeah there's enough ideation involved that it um might be uh it could be triggering for someone who has uh similar things so and i will also say like this is a good this book in this series is a good example of the whole healing is not linear mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. yeah um so that's kind of why I feel like it's important to put that kind of disclaimer in because you can read the first two or three chapters of this book and go, oh, I can take this. And then he wakes up and has a bad day or a bad scene and it's it will be worse mm-hmm. um, to experience. So, you know, kind of your it, this is kind of a your mileage may vary topic, I feel like. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hard to judge. And not having <laughs> so, those things um, ourselves, we can't tell you totally um yeah but then for our third topic powerlessness what do you two think for powerlessness i think enough i'm between (laughs) enough and not enough for the one of the particular instances with physical powerlessness Mm, yeah that one of the the assaults i think can be difficult because it's very Mm -hmm. tamra push is a very visceral writer not in a way that's gratuitous by any means but she mm-hmm. is someone who will yeah. put you in a scene very effectively. Um, and there's a lot of suspense built around that scene. It's it's honestly not that there long. There is an uncertainty about the outcome. Yeah. I will say this. When I was in like middle school and read this book for the first time, I didn't actually understand what happened in mm. that scene. Because we were not given context so that the reader wouldn't figure things out before the characters did. Yeah. And so, like, if you do know what's going on, it very much does put you in that feeling in that moment, even so. I like, Honestly, with this whole series, I felt like mm-hmm. it borders on not enough at times and not in a bad, not in a bad way at all. But mm-hmm. I was a pretty sensitive kid and teenager. And going from the first Circle series, which is much yeah. more, like, they're younger and it's it's less acute um, challenges that they're facing and less, like, human-driven challenges that they're facing, I found this series in particular to be, like, a darker and sometimes mm. more difficult read, although I enjoy that aspect of it. I think I like the complexity of it. So just recapping, I am putting not enough <laughs> on this one. Just so right. everybody knows. Okay. For the point of view. Okay. Okay. Yep. For point of view, for the trauma and the aftermath. Oh. Uh, so for the abandonment, yeah. get- in some ways, the book is the aftermath for some of it. But like, the the so we don't ever have the perspective of the main people no, abandoned. we mostly just get Triss, I think, 
everything with topic one. We mostly just kind of and like her experiences with her own past, her experiences uh, with trying to there- to be there for Glacky, her experiences with getting frustrated at people abandoning Glacky. Like we get, we get Demma's perspective as one of the people systemically participating in uh, abandonment. Uh, yeah, but that's not the perspective of the person being traumatized. Is my only. No, no, no. That's I'm just saying true. sometimes we, we, we note if we're talking, if we get the perspective of a perpetrator and yeah, there, it, this there is a, a way one. in which he fits in that category. Um, but so we, <laughs> we have someone trying to help. We have someone trying to help, but not being great at it. And then we have, and yeah. we don't have well, the perspective of, fair, the, of like the main four. person being abandoned. So, well, yeah. It would no, be odd it, if we would, did, but. I, I don't. I don't think no. we should have, but but we don't. I just do want to put that context in because this topic is abandonment. And like part of the reason we don't get her perspective is because she's a very small child. Hi, Haku. How are you? Yeah, she's like four. Yeah. Yo. She's like four. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. What did you two think about the point of view for near death and disability? Go ahead. No, go ahead, Anna. I was going to say it was very much from the character's perspective, I thought. Yeah, We got a very intimate look at how it affected them. And we we kind of incidentally see how it looks to other people, but that's mostly just because we have multiple point of view characters. Whenever we're focusing on this, we have the affected character's perspective. It's just, you know, it's the kind of thing that isn't limited to (laughs) just his chapters. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely just Triss. Powerlessness. Nicole, what's her point of view? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We get Nico talking about how Triss actually... struggles with this. Oh, we briefly get Nico's perspective. We get a little Nico. <laughs> right. We get Nico talking to other POV characters about yeah. how Triss struggles with it. Yeah. Everybody else sees so Triss as, like so immensely strong and powerful or they can't right. conceive of her power but they don't understand the struggle that she's going through yeah they don't see how she's in this middle zone yeah all right for the aspiring writer tip does anyone have one guests go first if you have one <laughs> i drawing a blank yeah, I'm thinking. So the the aspiring writer tip it can be either from something that the book did well that you wish more books did, or something that you wish this book and others would the do better. Balance of Keith general way to get that having to struggle on screen, but also we kind of get his internal thoughts about it while it's not happening was extremely important. And I am not sure how to turn that into a writing tip, but just we can acknowledge character struggles even when they're not actively being damaged, I guess. Um, Yeah. What your character experiences is part of their daily life, whether or not they are actively suffering in that moment. Yeah. And that's just something that's like, I think a lot of times, um, not always and not for all authors, uh, but a lot of times 
that can get kind of right because the plot is more important or because it's not relevant in the moment. And uh, that doesn't happen in this book. In this book, it's very much about like, these are things that this character deals with 24-7, even if it's not currently <laughs> a thing stopping them from insert activity here. Um, and I just, I think that that's, that's important. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely something that I think Tamara Pierce does really well. Yeah. Is remembering that things like trauma are ever present and that, as we said, like healing is not a straight line. And so they come up, they don't come up in ways where it feels yeah, repetitive. That's a good way of putting that. But nothing that she writes yeah. feels like it was done for shock value um, and then left Robin, behind. Yeah. Anything else you want to, anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, not to the writer tip. I'm trying to think what my favorite non-traumatic thing is. You can't take mine. That's unfair. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I really, really like all yeah, the descriptions of Triss's hair. <laughs> I'm also slightly distracted because Hockey um, or my I junior assistant editor chosen now um, to crawl in my lap. Ooh. <laughs> we have not talked enough about Chime. Yes. The was, best thing to come out of this book. <laughs> that was going to be one of mine. I have some other backups, but I love Chime. <laughs> Sassy Glass. Chime is Dragon. the best. I I really like um, yeah. Kapik and the Yaskadazi culture as someone who is a performer or grew up being a performer. Mm -hmm. I always was really drawn to even though they were looked down on by society, the camaraderie and the um, just the experience of of creating and performing that was portrayed here. I, I love seeing that in books, especially fantasy books. So that's my favorite thing outside mm -hmm. of Chime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think my favorite outside of of Triss's hair in general is just her her way of handling her powers. I love how she mixes the lava with her hands and creates like fit. Like I can do the motion that sh that is described, where you like, it's like you're almost like you're washing your hands and you pull your fingers apart. Like I I know what that would feel like. I know what it would feel like to comb my fingers through my hair and grab sparks. Like I just I love the. <laughs> The, I'm gonna pick up this thing and I'm gonna touch it and it, I I just I need more of this. <laughs> Get you a balloon, we can make it happen. I mean, let's do it. I don't have a problem <laughs> with it. I want this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's probably probably my favorite thing is just her her literal handling, touching sensation on the page of her powers. It's just beautiful. All right. Um, we all said our things. Yes. 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 So let's get some. Where can we? Where can we find you guys? Anna after you. I can be found at Anna Lionhearted on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, most social media platforms, and then our podcast, Circle of Friendship Podcasts, can be found at COF Pod on Twitter, and on certainpov.com, which is our podcast network. 
If you're interested in my brand of nonsense, you can find me at iHoardLibraries on Twitter, or you can listen to me on Reignite, a podcast about Mass Effect, the Rob Thomas No Not That One Robcast, a podcast about the creative works of Rob Thomas, and I know what you're thinking, it's not that one. Or you can catch me on twitch.tv slash archives of the dragon, where we play Changeling the Dreaming, and I play a punk rock selkie who has no idea what they're doing. <laughs> All right. And as always, you can catch us at Books That Burn everywhere. And we'll catch you in a fortnight with our next book, which is Battle Magic. So. And still includes our special guest. So if you love the sound of their voices, come join us in two weeks. <laughs> we'll be back. All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at booksthatburn at yahoo.com. Support us on patreon.com slash books that burn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout out. You can leave us an iTunes review. This helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Music